Thanks for tuning in. You're now listening to the latest podcast from House SF. For more information about House and our heart for the city, please make sure to visit our website at www.housesf.org. doing good good hey i am so excited to be here with you guys um y'all i've known ken for what five years now man something like that four or five years crazy and man i remember uh when we were walking through you losing your voice and one i I think one of the big things that we were saying through that is that we can be fully inadequate with what god's put in our hand but fully confident who put it in our hand and you know, I, I, I remember watching Ken go through such a hard time, but then seeing uh, not only a talent come back, but, but a man that like relied on character and integrity and, and not, uh, not the thing that he could do, right? And just know like with, with uh, Pastor Craig and Anna Marie and with Pastor Ken, you guys have a phenomenal uh, support staff, a, a phenomenal pastoral staff here that's going to spearhead the way for this church in years to come. But all right, enough of the super uh, deep emotional stuff. I'm, I'm not that deep. Ken was always the, the, the deep emotional guy on our worship team. So that's not me. My name is Josh. Uh, I have an amazing opportunity to serve as a, as a pastor at Canvas here in San Francisco. And I got to tell you guys too, like it's, it's awesome that there's not a sense of competition between churches in the city, right? Like uh, what, what we love is that we understand that this is a brotherhood that's competing against the enemy and not each other. And so we don't care about numerical value or, or what product or, or talent or gift a church has, but we just care that we're all doing the main thing together as one. And I, I know my pastor as well as uh, Pastor Greg here, like they have a phenomenal relationship. I think they went and got coffee like last week. And so like just know like we absolutely love you guys and absolutely love doing uh uh, church together in in this city. Um, so back in uh, 2016, I actually had an opportunity to write this book called uh, Makers and Monsters. And really, I, I spent a good amount of the year looking at what it means for us to find the inner artist that God has called us to create and how to fight off the inner critic that's in our lives. And Really, I, I think at the end of the day, one of the things that I firmly believe in is this idea that everyone is creative, that everybody is an artist. And you might say, you know, Josh, I'm, I'm not a creative. I, I'm not a painter. I'm not a musician. Um, I failed art class growing up. Like everything about being an artist is not me. But I'm also a firm believer that God has uniquely designed each and every one of our souls in its own specific and personal way. Therefore, the life that you create, the, the things that you do in your life, the future that's ahead of you, all of that makes you an artist at work, which also makes you a work of arts. So I firmly believe that all of us are artists, are, are creatives in some degree. But the biggest roadblock in our lives is ourselves, right? Like we are at times, if not all the time, our worst enemy. And in this book, I call those monsters. And what I mean by that are these things that creep in, these lies that creep up into our lives and tell us that we're not good enough. Like the monster of perfectionism or the monster of insecurity, the monster of self 
doubt. And so I, I was able to write this book to talk about what God says about your identity, what he says about who you are at the core of humanity, at the core of your human self, and then how to fight off those monsters when they come creeping in to your life. And as I was writing this book, there was something that I realized, and it was this, that all of us are creating one specific thing at the same time, all the time together. And that is our future. The next breath that you take, the next step, step that you walk on, the, the path that you choose to go, the choices that you make, we are all at the same time creating the future. And so today I just want to spend a, a couple of minutes looking at what it means for us to create the future, the right future that God has called us to create. Is that cool with you guys? Awesome. Rad. Y'all, listen, I love speaking to like people that are actually like engaged in what's happening. Take it from a communicator standpoint, it's the worst thing ever when people fall asleep when you're talking. So yeah, I'll just leave it at that. So anyways, um, I wouldn't say that I was a rebel as a child, but my teachers, for the most part, hated me. Um, there was one specific class that I personally loved, and that was art class. But the problem was the problem was this. I, I don't think it was me that was the problem. I still firmly believe that in second grade, in my second grade art class, um, my teacher was the devil. <laughs> I'm not kidding you. Everything that she did, her name was Mrs. Shreves. And like that name alone sends chills down my spine to this day, 26 years later. And for some reason, um, everything that I did in this class, in her art class, was never up to her standard. Case in point, there was one specific project where we had to make um, paper mache wind chimes. Y'all know what wind chimes are, right? Um, so we had to make paper mache wind chimes. Okay. Paper mache wind chimes. When you bang pieces of paper together, they don't make a sound. And so I remember she told us, what we're going to do is we're going to create these beautiful little paper mache wind chimes, these like little pieces of, of like paper balls. And when we bang them together, they're going to make this beautiful sound. Now, as a second grader, I'm thinking to myself, this is completely bogus. Like, Paper doesn't make a sound when you bang it together. And at the same time, this was springtime, and so she wanted to create like these paper mache wind chimes with these beautiful Easter colors. And as you can tell, I'm not a very colorful guy. And so I decided to do two things with these paper mache wind chimes. Um, I didn't make them out of paper mache, number one. Um, what I decided to do was make paper mache wind chimes that were covered in leftover pieces of metal and plastic from other um, art projects that we had. So when you did uh, hit them together, they would actually make a sound. And so I remember constructing this beautiful uh, paper mache wind chime that, yes, it kind of looked like a medieval battle weapon, but... Um, <laughs> I painted it dark black, and I put all these pieces of like metal and plastic all over it. And as a second grader, I think I was, what is that, seven, seven or eight, something like that. I was seven and eight at, at the time, and I remember her going, 
to desk to desk, giving everyone a, an A-plus on their beautiful Easter colorful paper mache wind chime. And for some reason, in my mind, I'm thinking to myself, when she gets to my desk, she's going to absolutely love what, what I have just created. And she gets to my desk, and I hold it up. And she looks at me, and she says, what is this? And I simply said, listen, I, I, I wanted to kind of take this in my own hands, and I decided to make this a little bit more of, you know, what Josh would make. So I put these pieces of plastic and metal on there so it would make a sound, and she cuts me off. And she says, you get an F and go throw away your paper mache wind chime. Yo, I'm seven. <laughs> you get it. Yo, I'm seven years old. That will create emotional trauma in a child, right? Like, I'm seven or eight years old, and I have to go throw away this thing that I was so proud of, my medieval battle weapon that I've just made, to go throw it away. I spent the next half hour on the playground, crying my eyes out, watching everybody else play with their beautiful papier-mâché wind chimes that made no sound whatsoever. Now, it's been like 20 years since that happened, and there's two things that I walked away from from, from that moment. Number one is this, um, as you all would probably agree with me at this point, uh, yes, my art teacher was Satan, and number, um, number two is this, I remember walking away from that specific project feeling like I was a failure. For some reason, even as a young child, I had taken this concept, this idea that if I fail at something, that if I create something that is a failure, I in turn am a failure. As if the thing that we create tells us who we are. And I realized over time, as I, my emotions matured, this idea, this concept stayed with me, stayed with me through high school. I wasn't good enough to make the football team. I wasn't good enough to be first chair in band. Getting into college, I, I, my grades weren't good enough to get that internship. I, I get out of college and I didn't get the job that I wanted. It wasn't, I wasn't good enough. I wasn't disciplined enough. I wasn't smart enough. And I slowly bought into this monster, this lie, that God had created a mistake. Have you, have you ever been there before where you've done something, you've created something, and maybe that thing was great, and as you make that thing, you feel like a success, but then the next time that you do something, the next time you walk into a new path or you create something new and it's a failure, you then feel like a failure. This whole idea, this whole concept reminds me of the story of Gideon. And we always talk about the end game of Gideon. We talk about this kid, this, this absolutely nobody that walks into his future. He walks into this new identity that God gives him, which is God's mighty warrior. And he defeats a Midianites, right? And, and he turns into this like military genius and becomes king of Israel. We, we always talk about the end of Gideon's life, but I think if we do that, we actually miss the most miraculous part of this entire story of Gideon, and that's his beginning. So if you have a Bible or if you have your, your phone, uh, if you want to go to Judges 6, the words will be on the screen as well. This is the very first time that we see Gideon in 
scripture. And it says this, one day the angel of God came to Gideon who was threshing wheat in the wine press out of sight of the Midianites. The angel of God appeared to him and said, God is with you. Remember this phrase, oh mighty warrior. And Gideon replied with me, my master, if God is with us, why has all this happened to us? We're all the miracle wonders our parents and grandparents told us about, telling us, didn't God deliver us from Egypt? This is Gideon talking. The fact is God has nothing to do with us, and he has turned us over to Midian. I love this next verse. God faced him directly. You all remember when you were a kid and you just mouthed off to your mom or dad and they just like stared down you, like stared in the depths of your soul and told you you're grounded. I feel like this is what God's doing in this verse. God faced him directly and he says to Gideon, go in the strength that is yours. Save Israel from Midian. Haven't I just sent you? And Gideon says, me, my master, like me, Gideon, how and with what could I ever save Israel? I mean, just look at me. My clan's the weakest in Manasseh, and I'm the runt of the litter. And God says to him, I will be with you. Believe me, you'll defeat Midian as one man. This is what we see. We see Gideon threshing wheat in a wine press. And uh, I'm from Indiana, born and raised in the middle of nowhere, grew up on a farm. And um, just so you guys know, I have like a slight thick accent might come out. And sometimes it sounds like I don't even know how to speak English. It's, it's normal. So just a heads up. But um, I, I grew up on a farm and I grew up threshing wheat. And so I see that Gideon was threshing wheat in a wine press. He's harvesting grain in a barn to be hidden away from the Midianites. There's this whole history about Midian um, coming in, destroying crops. And so Gideon is hiding away from the Midianites in a barn, trying to just to make some food. And then God shows up and says, God is with you, O mighty warrior. You know what I find funny about the story of Gideon? Not one time, do you ever see God reference Gideon by his real name? God always calls Gideon God's mighty warrior. Which tells me this, that Gideon was holding this identity of just a farm boy. Gideon was believing the lie that he was just not good enough to be a commander in the Israelite army. He was just a farm boy, and that's what God had called him to do, and that was it. We even see that in the last verses of Judges. He says, with me, God, like how and with what am I going to defeat Midian? And he even says this, that my clan out of the 12 tribes of Israel, Manasseh, was 12 out of 12. And he says, we're, we're literally like my family is the least family. And in my family, I'm the runt of the litter. I'm the least of everybody. And in this moment, we see God not pick a king, not pick the strongest, the smartest, the most disciplined, but he picked the weakest of the weak, the less of anyone else in the nation of Israel, and use him to be God's mighty warrior. 
Gideon's true identity, God's mighty warrior. You see, Gideon believed this lie that he wasn't good enough. And the name that he had to walk into was this name called God's mighty warrior. See, he had to accept that name for him to walk into the future that God had created him to create. And I wonder if some of us here today are doing exactly what Gideon was doing, that we're walking around with the wrong name, the, the name of not good enough, the, the name of not perfect, the, the name of insecurity, or the name of I just can't live up to that standard. I think this is the same for Gideon as it is for us, that the only thing that's standing in the way of the future that God has created for us is ourselves. I think a lot of times in Scripture, God uses this underdog to be raised up into this God's mighty warrior for him to take on whatever it is that God wants to do. I never see Jesus ever using a king or someone at the top of this game, never using a number one, but I see him using the runt of the litter, the weakest of Manasseh, the least of the least. And these men, including Gideon, had to pick up this new identity. God chose him. And because God chose Gideon, he was able to choose the right future. And the same is true for us, but we get in our own way. Which tells me this, that maybe today we all just need to be reminded that God already chose us, so we need to choose ourselves. God already chose us, so maybe today you just need to choose Yourself And y'all, I understand it's easier said than done, right? Let me give you just a little tip, maybe just something that, that'll help you during those, those weak times. There's three questions I ask myself. Anytime I'm walking into something new, a, a new career, a, a new book, a, a new whatever it's going to be, whatever that is for you, I have to ask myself three questions, and it's this. Who do I say that I am? Who does God say that I am? Which one am I going to believe? Because so many times in life, I can remind myself who I say that I am. The, the person that still needs to lose the last 10 pounds, or the, the person that's never going to live up to what everyone else can do. And then I remember that God has, has made me a unique human. He has created a soul unlike anybody else's, and my future is mine for the taking. And I have to remember that God already chose me, so now I have to choose myself. God already chose you, so today maybe it's time for you to choose yourself. But that's not all that Gideon had to do. He didn't only have to choose himself, but he also had to make the choice of going forward. Um, we see Gideon in these verses right here fully accepting what Jesus has called him to from the very beginning, which is his new identity, God's mighty warrior. And I think so many times in our life, we walk into a new choice, a new future, a new career, whatever the next path is for you. We can walk into that moment without any momentum 
because we walk into it not choosing ourselves. God has already chose you, so choose yourself. But then you've got to make the choice of going forward, which tells me this, that the choice that you make today creates what your future will be tomorrow. The choice you make today creates the future you walk into tomorrow. If you choose yourself, you'll most likely walk into the right choice for tomorrow. You'll walk into the future that God has created you to create. But if we don't fully accept our identity as God's mighty warriors, if we don't accept the identity that our soul was created to have We can easily live in complacency, mediocrity, status quo, and live that life out until we die. So when I ask you, what do you choose today? The status quo? Do you choose mediocrity, complacency? Are you willing to risk it all and walk into a new choice, to walk into the future that God has created you to create? As I was writing this book, I got to uh, study and research this, uh, this uh, poetry writer. Her name was Ruth Stone. This is what Ruth says about poetry. She said, poetry is like a thunderous train of air, and it would come barreling down at me over the landscape. I'd be working outside in the fields of Virginia, and I would feel the creativity of a poem shake the earth under my feet. And so I knew I only had one thing to do at that point. I had to run like hell back to the house, and I would be chased by this poem. I love that. I had to get a piece of paper fast enough so when it thundered through me, I could collect it and grab it on the page. And other times, I wouldn't be fast enough. I would be running and running, and I wouldn't get to the house, and the poem would barrel through me, and I would miss it. And it would continue across the landscape looking for another poet. Ruth went on to say, there was a few times where I would almost miss the poem. I would miss the opportunity to write this poem. I would just get to the house, and as soon as I would grab a pencil, she says that she would physically reach out and grab a poem by its tail. And I would pull it into my body as I would transcribe it onto the paper. And then I would say to the poem, you are mine and this is my opportunity. And so it is with the choices that we make in our lives. And so it is with the opportunity that lays in front of you. Your future just like this poem, your future is barreling down the landscape. If we choose the mediocre, we choose the status quo, if we choose the complacency that we have in our lives, that future that God has created us to walk into will barrel past through us looking for somebody else to live out their calling. So friends, today, if I'm trying to say anything to you, it's this. What is the future that God has created you to create? What is the thing that he has called you to create in your life? What is the choice that you need to make in your life? And what is the future that God wants you to walk into? All of us 
don't want status quo. All of us don't want to live a life of complacency and mediocrity. But it's so easy for us to find comfortability in those things. What would it look like for you today to risk it all for that dream that's been in the depths and the dark corners of your heart and the very, very back of your soul? What is that thing you know God has called me to do? Are you willing to make a choice to rebuke the status quo, to fulfill a life of full satisfaction, of passionate being, and walk into the future that God has created you to create? So I just want to end with this and just remind you of a few things. What will you choose today? Because a fully alive life, Everything that you have ever wanted in your life, it's on the other side of your choice. That life that you know God has called me to create, that future that you know God has told me to walk into, it is all on that other side of your choice. Maybe today it's just going to end up being us saying that, God, I'm not the most talented. I know that I'm not good enough. I'm not pretty enough. I'm not disciplined enough. I know I can't walk into this future and do what you want me to do. But Jesus, I know you're more than enough. And because of that, he makes up for our lack of being perfect, our lack of not being good enough. So what will you choose? Do you choose a life of comfortability, status quo, Monday to Friday, the nine to five, where everything is just an infinite black space of gray? Or do you trust God and pick up his identity of what he's called you to be? Not Josh, not Ken, but God's true identity for your life. What do you choose? Do you choose to risk it all and to go into the future and create the future that God has made you to be? Friends, let us be a group of humanity. Let us be a church that creates the future. Let us be a group of makers to make the future that God has created us to be. Jesus, this is our, our battle cry. This is our mantra. This is our, our anthem. This is everything that we want to stand for. Jesus, we understand. We understand that you risked it all so we could have a future, that you gave everything just so we could walk into an identity that you've called us to have. So Jesus, today, let us be a group of people, a movement of God, created beings that were created to create, and let us be that artist that you've called us to be. Call us, Jesus, to rebuke those monsters in our life and be the full maker you've called us to be.
thanks again for listening to the House SF podcast. We pray that you're encouraged today by this message. If you'd like to partner with and support our ministry, please visit us at www.housesf.org.